Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry, all live and in person again, uh, back in the studio. All rested up. <laughs> rested up. And ready to go. to go. You got it, man. And, of course, we will be doing the next several shows live, and then right. we run to the Christmas vacation, which... Another two weeks of... Uh, <laughs> Another two re- weeks of recorded shows you have to put go. up with. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually putting those together this week, and I've got a couple of really good shows. One of them is from back around 2005, a show that Harvey and I did. Uh-huh. And I was putting finishing touches on that one. And another one is from 2009, a show that Mike Viator and I did together. Right. And so those will be coming up over the Christmas holidays. I think A lot of great information on them. Very good shows, and they haven't played in quite a while. So I guess the majority of folks who listen to the Automotive Hour probably never heard these. So they'll, uh-huh. be, they'll be brand new to you anyway. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and those who probably have been listening for years, I'm sure you'll... You might remember some of them, but yeah, you may. they took a few shows and put them together. Well, and... That's right. Good information, so I think you'll really like it. There you go. And we would appreciate you calling in today, and we'll get you on the air and get your questions answered, get some information to you. Get you a personalized answer today. That's right. Today is a perfect day to call in, all rested up and ready to go. That's it, and we got roughly 45 minutes to an hour, so we that's got plenty it. of time right plenty, now. Plenty of time to answer any questions you might have, just in case you don't care to call in or something maybe occurred to you during the week. That's right. You can always get your questions answered on our website the address is www.agcoauto.com that is a g c o a u t o easy way to remember that's take the acronyms altazan's garage company they get you to our site there is a contact bar on every page which sends you to a form Mm -hmm. you can fill out that form and you can actually save that form, correct? Well, you don't have to save it. What it does, it will ask you, would you like to retain this information? And if you hit yes, what it will do next time you go to the form, it will already be filled out for you. And that's great because yeah. that's a lot of information to have to fill out every time. It does. And that is actually a function in Windows where it can place a cookie on your machine. It just remembers the form information uh-huh. for you. Windows does that automatically, except you have to kind of arrow down to see it. Now, what this does, it actually puts it in the form for you. So once you type in your name, your email address, what kind of vehicle you have, and so on, and you save it, the next time you come back, that will already be filled out for you. Right, and should you have a question on maybe a different vehicle, all you have to do is go in and correct, correct it. Type and that in, save that, and it'll bring that one up for you. It there you, you go. It'll give you a little multiple choice. You just scroll down, find the vehicle you want, push that, and it'll fill it in for you for that one. Most people have two or three cars nowadays. Well, that's a fact. Very few people who only own one car, and... Even those who only own one car, a lot of folks are more or less responsible for multiple cars. Sure. For instance, dad may take care of his daughter's car or his son's car or maybe his sister's or brother's cars. Right. So you have folks who generally are responsible for multiple cars. I know we see a lot of folks who come in and they will have maybe six or seven cars that they care for, uh-huh. either directly or indirectly. And as family members, a lot of people just don't understand about car care, car maintenance and such. So they tend to rely on one person who maybe does understand it a little better. And that's understandable to do that. Sure. But that's the way that works. But, yeah, it makes it real, real easy for you. While you're on that site, you might want to look around. Lots of good, good information on there. There's detailed topics. I put one on this morning on how to test engine compression. That is a very good article to sit down and read to understand what compression actually is, Mm -hmm. if you don't know. Years ago, when we didn't have as much sophisticated diagnostic equipment as you have today, mechanics relied on compression tests a lot. Sure. I know in my day when I was working on cars, it was very, very common for us to do a compression test. And we get a lot of information from that, not 
only do you get the pressure, but the relationship of one song to another, how fast the pressure builds. In other words, the first crank, how much does it rise, how much on each successive crank, so on and so forth. By comparing all these things, if you know and understand how to do it, you get a lot of information out of a compression test. Yes, you do. A lot of firsthand information that if you know how to read it, know what to do with it, you can do a, a real good diagnostics well, just by running that one you test. You can get information you can't get from any other source, and you can confirm information that you do get from other sources. For instance, there's a misfire. By running a compression test, you can find out whether or not the engine is healthy. Another good reason for a compression test, if you've got a car, let's say you're looking at a car, a used car that you want to buy, and you're uncertain about the condition of the engine, a compression test will reveal the overall condition of the engine. There mm-hmm. are methods where you can test how strong the rings are, if there's any type of valve problem, and so on and so forth. So just a good little test that inexpensive equipment, mostly anyone could administer this themselves. Right. Some engines, is a little more difficult to access the spark plugs. Some engines, it's darn near impossible. But yeah. on a lot of engines, for instance, like your four-cylinder is a piece of cake. You could probably do it in less than a half an hour. Yeah, they're right there on the front. Some of your V6s actually have a the intake manifold actually wraps over the back valve cover. Right. To get to those is almost impossible. You'd have to pull Sometimes the upper Sometimes you actually have to pull the upper intake off mm-hmm. and in to get to them. And in that case, you'd probably utilize other tests first and use a compression test only to confirm a diagnosis. Correct. But on the ones where it's easier to get to, you might go initially to a compression test. So good, good information. I think you'll really like it. Pop on there, see what you think. It's www.agcoauto.com. I think you'll have a good time. There's a lot of great information there. That's right. We're going to our phone lines with Ron. Good morning, Ron. Good morning. Yes, good morning, sir. sir. Yeah, I got a question on a 2007 Dodge Caravan, about 73,000 miles, 3.8. Okay. In the last couple of months, every time I fill it up, it spits and sputters and sometimes dies. And then after that, I'll have another problem to the next fill up. Ron, I would probably assume that would be something to do with the evaporative emission system on the vehicle. Is the only thing I can think of that would be related to a fill-up. There are several vents that vent the tank. In other words, when you're using fuel out of the tank, air has to run back in to replace that fuel. If I pump a gallon out of the tank, I have to have a gallon of air go back in to replace that space or I draw a vacuum on the tank. The system that does that is called the evaporative emission system. And... Because of the EPA, you can't, used to be you just had a hole in the cap, which was great because atmospheric pressure did the job and it never failed. But you can't have that now because we can't allow gas fumes to enter the atmosphere. So instead, what they've got is a charcoal canister, a series of solenoids and valves, and so on and so forth. Sort of a complex setup. What it does is that when the engine is not running and pressure starts to build, it flows into a charcoal canister to store it. When the engine starts, it opens a valve that sucks the fumes out of the canister. When the fuel pump starts to run, it opens another valve that allows air to flow from the charcoal canister back into the engine. So something in all of that setup has got to have malfunctioned. Do you have a check engine light at all? No. No check engine? See, on the Dodges use a kind of a bizarre setup. They don't use the same setup as most of the other domestics or the Jap cars. They use a system that uses what they call a leak detection pump. And the check engine light actually uses a little pump to test itself rather than using engine vacuum. So even though you've got a malfunction, it may not catch that. I would have to see the vehicle, Ron. That's just kind of an obscure complaint. It's not something that's real common that I can just tell you, oh, yeah, it's this. Has any work been done around the gas tank on the vehicle at all? 
Nothing at all. The only thing I've ever done to the vehicle is I had to change the ETR valve. Yeah, well, that's common on that one as well. That would not be related. The reason I asked, because if the fuel tank had been out, I would say you may have a hose or something that's pinched off. Ron, I just have to see the vehicle. What we would do is first go in, connect to the evaporative emission system, run it through a series of tests and see what is functioning, what isn't functioning. If that doesn't find it, the next thing we do is run a smoke test, and smoke can visually show you where the air is flowing. But it's almost got to be something to do with not venting the tank, I would think. What you could try just to confirm that, Ron, is to take the fuel cap off next time you fill it completely up, just temporarily, crank it up and see if it runs okay. With the cap off? Yeah, just take the cap off and temporarily crank it up and see if it runs okay. If it runs good with the cap off, then that almost confirms that, that it's not drawing vent into the tank. If it still does it with the cap off, then we're into something else. That does sound complicated. That's more it is. It's not a very simple system. And it's like anything that the government and EPA gets involved in. It's going to be 10 times more complex than it needs to be. It's fairly difficult to diagnose. It's not going to be anything simple because it does vent through several solenoids and it is all computer controlled. And it's not anything you can just look at and see. Okay, well, I thank you very much, and I'll try that cap. Uh, yeah, try that, and if it runs good with the cap off, of course, you can't drive it with the cap off because you'll set a check engine light, but if it runs good like that, that kind of confirms that that is the problem. Get it in to us, and I can run a smoke test. And I can, well, It's probably a, a solenoid or a vent or a hose that's collapsed. Okay, thanks very much. Okay, Ron, thanks, man. Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. Okay, look, you've been at the Red Box for 10 minutes and you've got about 30 movies. Yeah, you roll in here with that car with the brakes screeching and the bald tires, and then you ask to cut in line because you're in a hurry. Look, it is 2012, and according to the Mayan calendar, the world ends on December 21st. So, I'm trying to watch all the movies I can before then. So no car repairs either, right? Who's got time for that? Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. So, no car maintenance? All movies till December 21st? Yep. I'm stocking up on all the classics, too. Gone with the Wind, Citizen Kane, Alvin and the Chipmunks, The Squeakwool. <laughs> I, I knew he was crazy. Yep. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot Welcome back. You just joined us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, for your tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go give us a call? It's 499-9526. We'd really like to hear from you. And we've got Lewis been patiently holding. Good morning, Lewis. I've got a question. I've got an SUV with uh, aftermarket TVs and uh, a VCR in, in the unit, and the VCR, I think it's gone out. Uh-huh. My question is, I've got an older or our VCR that's in the house that's really not been used that well or that much. If I go in there and splice the power cord off the back of the home VCR, can I wire that directly in where the power source is? The, on the original one was a factory VCR? No, it wasn't the factory. I mean, it came in the vehicle as a factory option? No, it was aftermarket. Aftermarket. Yeah, you just have to check. Probably, Lewis, but just check the voltage and all on it. Okay. Most likely, there's an inverter which converts the 12-volt DC of the car to 110-volt AC for the 
TV and the old VCR. Yeah, TV and the VCR. If that's the case, I don't see why you couldn't do that. Now, okay. be careful because some of the factory units may actually be a 12-volt DC VCR, and obviously if you hook a 110-volt system to it, it's going to freak out. Right. But you, you can actually take that old unit out and turn it over where yeah. the power cord goes in. There should be, it should be labeled, even if it's raised into plastic, as to what voltage goes in that unit. Yeah, you want to make sure the voltage and the amperage is roughly the same because if, let's say, the old one pulls 5 amps and a new one pulls 12, well, then you may right. have a problem overloading something. But I would say if the voltage and the amperage requirements are the same, the signal coming out, obviously, is going to be the same. Yeah, right. They both use the same protocol on DVD, so I got to answer probably. <laughs> okay. I've never done it myself, but yeah, if as long as the voltage and amperage is the same, I don't see why you couldn't do that. Okay. Hey, thank you so much. Okay, man. Thanks a lot. Right. Bye bye. Four nine 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 five two six. The number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. That's something I've never really fooled with, but I would think so long as the electrical is all the same. I don't see right. why one wouldn't be. I'm sure they didn't invent a new VCR. No. I could say on a factory system, it could possibly be a 12-volt operated unit, but I don't even know about that for sure. I've just never taken one apart. You'd have to get in there and find out. And with today's technology and everything, boy, you could upgrade. Now would be the time to upgrade oh, yeah. to a DVD or That's right. even a Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they probably have an inverter which just converts 12 volt DC to 110 AC. Right. And those are relatively would inexpensive. Almost, would almost have to for the TV. I would think so. Yeah, I doubt they're making a 12 volt TV. Right. I, at least I've never heard of one. Doesn't mean to not. <laughs> just because you never heard of it, don't, don't mean, mean it, it don't, don't exist. That's, <laughs> That's it. right. Hey, we got Kelly online. Good morning, Kelly. Good morning, Liz. Yes, sir. I got a question regarding uh, the Dodge Hemi motors that have 16 spark plugs. Okay, uh-huh. sir. Ford manufacturer. What I've heard, I really didn't look it up. They're telling me that I need to change spark plugs about every 45 uh, Actually, 30, Kelly. 30? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that uh, engine uses a copper plug in lieu of a platinum or iridium plug like some other engines do. The reason they're using a copper plug in there, Kelly, is because that has aluminum heads on that engine, and they don't want those plugs to sit in there for 100,000 miles because there's a chance they would seize up. A lot of modern engines still use copper plugs. A lot of your Toyotas do that. The Hemi does that. I guess the disadvantage is that you do have to replace them more often. The advantage is they are way, way cheaper than the other plugs. Whereas platinum and iridium plugs can cost up $20 each, those plugs are probably about $3 each. So it's not a huge expense, and they're not hard to change. I mean, it's something that if you've at least been handy, you could probably do yourself. If you don't care to fool with it, most shops are going to charge you an hour or less labor to replace them. It's not hard to do, but yes, they do need to be replaced. What will happen, Kelly, if you don't change them, it will not start running bad. It will not start missing, and your fuel mileage will not drop off. Now, what it will do is melt down the calls on the engine. And then all of a sudden, you're going to get yeah, a big misfire. Check engine pops on. Right. You got a bad misfire, and you got about a thousand dollar repair bill in your hand, as opposed to because you've burned up eight calls instead of right, just one. Right. Or, so you do want to change them out. And I didn't catch which year model it was, but if it's got spark plug wires on it, those wires actually need to be changed every other plug replacement. No, it's got the coil packs. Coil packs. Okay. The pack, later okay. model ones went right. to coil packs. The early ones had wires and had to replace the wires. But you got to be very judicious with that because what will happen is that as the plug gap gets wider, the computer will command increased duty cycle on the call packs. And you'll exceed the duty cycle and start burning up the calls. So well, I wouldn't really gain a whole lot by going a higher 
quality plug. You, you cannot do it. It's still going to require the same maintenance interval. And if you left them in there that long, you end up buying two cylinder heads, which is a way bigger deal. So it's just the vehicle you got. Just part of it. Just bite the bullet, change them every 30,000 miles. Be glad that that's the only issue that one's got. Yeah, well, that, that saves me money making this phone call rather than just uh, going by what the counter people say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, you can get a longer life. Right, no, you no. can't. <laughs> <laughs> You're defeating the design of the vehicle. And, you know, when engineers do stuff like that, they do it for a reason. They didn't put the copper plugs just to save money because to them, the difference in a copper plug and a platinum plug, when you're buying 10 million plugs a year, is nothing. There's no difference. They did it for a reason. So only we buy those plugs from the Chrysler dealer. And they're inexpensive from Chrysler, and you know you got the right plug. Just go in and give them the VIN number off your vehicle. Give them the last eight digits off your VIN number. Uh-huh. And don't even tell them what kind of car you got. Just walk in there, say, VIN number, yeah, 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 yeah. And then just sit there and look at him. Because if you give them the vehicle, a lot of those guys, not a lot of them, some of those guys are kind of lazy, and they don't want to punch the VIN number in, and they just hand you a plug that might or might not be right. If you give them the VIN number and don't tell them what kind of car or make them tell you what kind of car you got, then you're absolutely sure going to get the right plug. And they're not very expensive. They're, they're fairly reasonable from Chrysler. Okay. And what about never seized on the thread? They say don't do that, Kelly, because that can actually alter the – The uh, torque spec. It, well, not the spec, but the torque it, amount. It, you're a lot tighter when you right. put something like that on. Because See, the threads are actually lubricated then, so they turn easier. So when you torque them down, you're actually pulling more torque you're on them, them much tighter than you would if they were dry. Torque is not actually a measurement of how tight it is. It's a measurement of the resistance of the plug turning in the head. And when you lubricate it, that resistance goes way down. So with the same torque, it's much, much tighter in the head. It can also affect the heat range on the plug. So don't put any never seize. Just put them in dry, and you'll be great. Just make sure the engine's cold, cold when you do right. it and torque them down to the proper specification. And I think we lost Kelly, but Uh-oh. we're going back to our phone lines. We've got Sam on the line. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. I've got a 2010 Mercury Mountaineer. All right, sir. Uh, with a five-speed automatic transmission. Yes, sir. And my service manual, my uh, information on the car said it came with synthetic fluid in it. That is how correct. Often, how often should that be changed? Just Sam, normal. I like to change that about every 50,000 miles. Okay. Just because it is very inexpensive to change it, and it is extremely expensive. If that transmission goes out, you're probably looking $4,500 to $5,000 to replace or repair it. Okay. And a transmission service is going to be less than $200. Now, if you're going to do it yourself, you got to buy the right fluid, and you got to make sure. Some of them use Mercon 5. Some of them use Mercon Premium. Some of them use Mercon LV. There's about six different fluids that Ford is using currently. So make sure you get the right fluid and make sure you get the right filter. It's not a hard job, but you just got to make sure you use the right stuff. It also requires a special tool to refill it because I don't think that transmission has a dipstick on the outside. So be sure that you do it. Now, if you do have it done, be extremely careful because a lot of dealerships will give you what they call a flush which is not what you want. You do not want to flush that unit. You want a proper service where they drop the pan, change the fluid, change the filter, and tighten the valve body bolts, do any band adjustments and all that. Put the correct filter and the correct fluid back in. That is correct. So you do not want, if they mention the word flush, leave. you need to go somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> Just go turn around and leave. Turn around and leave and go somewhere else. Hey, we got to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more.
Clint, what's with the huge crate? My 120-inch Platinum 3D TV. Splurging, huh? We're putting it all on the credit card, and since the Mayan calendar predicts the world ending December 21st, I'll never have to pay it back. That would explain the giraffe and elephant in your backyard. Have you thought about fixing your car, buddy? Your old one is in pretty bad shape. Leaking oil, screeching brakes... My car can make it to December. Plus, I need money to complete my set of life-size Star Wars action figures. Yoda is an expensive one, he is. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. You know, if your car won't run, you can always ride your elephant. Great idea. Let me Google elephant license. Uh, okay, you know I was joking, right? Want to learn more about why AGCO is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersand, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tree Tools, try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 499-9526. And we got our lines wide open. Be glad to talk to you and just give us a call. That's right. And we've got Daryl online. Good morning, Daryl. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? doing Good great, morning. Sir. I have a 1999 Cutlass Oldsmobile. Yes, yeah, sir. It has 100 and over 160,000 miles. Wow, okay, good. Okay, it's a great running car, but lately I've been having a problem with it the last month or so. Mm-hmm. Every time I give it gas, about 40, 45 miles an hour, my uh, RPM needle, it goes up between 2,000 and maybe 4,000. Yes, sir. Every time I give it gas, it, that needle goes up. I don't. But the car doesn't move any faster? No, it doesn't go any faster. Yeah, that's slippage. Daryl, it's an automatic transmission? Yes, sir. Yeah, that's going to be slippage in your transmission because what it's doing is that the RPM is revolutions per minute. And when the engine speeds up and the car doesn't, then the right. transmission is slipping. The first thing to check is make sure that it's not low on fluid because okay. it may have a leak and it may have run down on fluid. Very, very, very important, Daryl, to get this fixed right away. Yes, sir. Because normally they won't slip but about a day or two, and it will burn the transmission completely up. So you may take a real small problem like a leak and turn it into a new transmission if you keep driving it like that. Okay, next question. You bet. Okay, I have a transmission that doesn't have a dipstick. How would I know how much transmission? Uh, that one should have a dipstick I'm- on it. No, it doesn't. Trust me. Mm. It's the second car I ever bought in my life that doesn't have a... What year model is it? 1999. No, it's got a dipstick. It's going to be back in the back on the right-hand side, all the way back by the firewall. If it's not there, it's missing. Let me put it that way. It had a dipstick at one time. It had a red cap on it when I first purchased the car. I bought it used. Uh Uh-huh. It has a red cap that you put a transmission fluid in. They're like that Cavalier I bought years ago in 1998. Uh Cavalier uh didn't have a dipstick neither. I have not run across that, Darrell. So a lot of the newer cars do not have a dipstick. Right, but it's got a tube, just no stick. Okay. It may have a tube and someone's taking the, the stick, stick out. out. Yeah, That's... you just have to get a stick for it. Okay. Because I know it came equipped with a dipstick. Okay, so, I'm told now about that, so I'm going to have to go, maybe go to a dealership. and right. dealer give them the VIN number off the car, and they can get you a stick for it. Or if you happen to be in our area, you can run by the shop. I'll walk out and take a look at it for you. Great. I'm not aware of any of them that don't have a dipstick. Like I said, there's a okay. lot of the newer cars. Several of the Fords don't have dipsticks. Some okay. right, but that's cars, all. That's all 2009 and up. Yeah, okay. m- most of the old stuff had a stick. But it's going to be real important to get. I tell you what, you could do is you could actually just dump a quart or two of additional fluid in it. 
Yes, sir. It's not going to hurt it. At worst, right. it'll come bubbling back out the tube if you put too much, but it can't hurt the car. If it quits slipping, then you know for sure that's it until you can get it checked properly. Great. And yeah, you, that would be superior to running around and burning something. Right. Up. Yes, sir. I appreciate you guys' opinion, and I'll listen to you every Saturday. Well, great. Oh, thank Darryl, you. Thanks for calling, man. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. 499-9526 is number. Daryl's been listening a long time. I he know I was, when I edited the show, I've, I've heard him before yeah. over there. So we appreciate all our long-term listeners like that. We're going back to our phone lines. Hey, calling from over in Central. I've got a 2006 Chevy Silverado that over the last, probably over the last year, has begun to squeak a lot. Just okay. normal squeaking. Nothing appears to be loose, but it squeaks. Now, I... Sometimes I, when I'm driving maybe out in a pass or something like that, I'm on some uneven surface, but it squeaks what I would think would be louder than normal. Yes, sir. And I was just curious to know if there's anything specifically contributing to that. Where is the squeak coming from, Morris? Can you tell us, like, left front, right front? I can hear it more when I'm on, obviously, I'm on the driver's side all the time. It sounds like it's more just generally under the, you know, under the bottom, but I can't really tell from any particular area. But it's almost as, as soon as one of the tires yes, maybe go off into a little slope or a little dip. I'll tell you what I have seen a lot, uh, Morris, and what you can do as a little test is with the vehicle sitting still, get out and just kind of push down on each corner okay. and see if you can make it squeak. If it does yes. not squeak, pushing on any of the corners of the uh -huh. We have seen a lot of the body mount cushions on those vehicles where the bolts will actually just fall out. Uh, I don't okay. know if they didn't tighten them down enough in the factory. And the cushions will actually fall out. We've run across, I don't know, five or six of those vehicles like that. Yeah, in the last six months. Yeah, where the cushions are missing or loose mm -hmm. and that. And generally, if one wheel steps down and the chassis and cab move relative to each other, you'll get a squeak. So every time it steps off a bump, it'll do it. And the key is, if you push down the corner, you will not be able to get it to do it. Now, if pushing on the corner of the vehicle makes it do it, more likely it's going to be something in the suspension. It could okay. be like a ball joint that's dry or, or a bushing that's come apart. bushing that's coming right. apart. Those sorts of things. So just try that. Like I said, each corner push up and down. If you get no noise at all, then if you can crawl under and just examine all of those bushings, and there's going to be how many, Brian? Depending on what cab is on it, anywhere between four and six. If it's an extended cab or a regular cab. Just a four-wheel drive truck? Uh, no, it's two-wheel drive. Two-wheel drive? They had a lot of trouble with the frames actually popping and making noise like that when you go over a bump. Okay. I remember something about a TSB for a squeak. I don't remember exactly yep. what it entailed. Some of them are some of them, as simple as retightening all the right. bolts. Like in uh, the something about there was stuff. a shim that went between the body mount and the cab. Right. I remember there was that. a shim that went in there that to got, stop a squeak noise. That got left out on some of them. Right. Yeah. But if you can't find it, Morris, you can bring it by the shop. We've got a series of microphones we can hook up under the car, and we've got a rotary okay. switch where we can switch around and listen to all the different parts, and we okay. should be able to find it for you if you can't find it yourself. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, okay, guys. Appreciate it. I listen to your show every chance I get. Well, good. Appreciate, appreciate your info. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you listening. Bye-bye. All right, 499-9526 number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Howard online. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Enjoy Good morning. your show. Been Thanks, listening sir. to for years. Yes, sir. I recognize your voice. Okay. Uh, stupid me. I think I had an oil leak like, oh, first, an O2 Buick uh -huh. with a 3.8 engine in it. And it has, you know, about 45,000 miles yes, on sir. it. Yes, sir. I got under the, there this morning to see what... The oil leak was, and it was coming in from the vicinity of the power steering area. Yes, sir. Quadrant. 
I started wiping with a cloth. It seems that high-pressure power steering hose is seeping. Uh-huh. And I got to looking at that mess and trying to chase the return line. And can you imagine who might have designed something <laughs> like that? Huh? I can because we deal with that every day, and they Good are God. very, very convoluted Look, the way they run through there. Tell me if I did follow it right because I, I had to give that up. I'm, I'm too old to, you know, I'm almost 80 years old. Howard, that's not anything you can be able to do yourself laying on no, your back no. in the driveway. you got to have a lift to get it up, and it routes all up on top of that engine cradle and everything. But the power steering hose, what happens is the pressure line will start to break down over time. The rubber will deteriorate, and it'll start to leak, and you're going to have to replace those hoses. It's not. Well, I know you don't have much mileage, but it's just the age of the vehicle. Well, you know, I had told on a, on a 94 Buick, and I just never had any trouble with it at yes, all. Mm-hmm. But, but it's, uh, it's not uncommon. You figure the vehicle's 10, 11, yeah, 12 well, years old. Well, no. right. Let me ask you this. What kind of charge is involved in changing that miserable thing? Probably not that much. You're probably talking an hour or maybe two hours at worst. you got a lift and everything where you can get it up. You have to actually take some of the cradle bolts out, drop the engine cradle down, then you can get your hand there and do it. Kind of out of the hands of most do-it-yourselfers, but if in a shop, it's not going to be too big a deal. Well, you can get the one end of it, but it's yes, the sir. other end. Exactly. Right. What stupid engineer would design a return hose? <laughs> There's some the- reason for it. Yeah. They had, they had a some kind of cooling problem or yeah. something. They had to cool that fluid down, <laughs> so the one. longer line well, made they, it cool they, down faster. They ran it over to the left wheel, five steering units on the right wheel. They ran it over to the left wheel and then up along the front of the radiator and then back to it and then back to the pump. Yeah, a lot of times what they're trying to do is actually cool Cool the fluid fluid down down and acts as a cooler. Instead of putting an actual cooler on it, which costs money, they can route that line, make it longer. The fluid will cool down in it because it's longer line away from the heat. And they don't have to spend the extra expense on building a cooler for it. That's right. So, hey, we got to go back to our phone lines. We've got Frank from Las Vegas. Good morning, Frank. Hey, how's it going, sir? Doing Good great, morning. sir. Um, well, I have a, a 2006 Nissan Frontier. Okay, and sir. And my driver's side window, I have replaced the, the switch, the motor, and the regulator. Mm-hmm. And none of those three things have fixed the window. It will not move up or down. I've learned that when I drive at highway speeds, yes, sir. if I mess with the switch, it makes the radio go fuzzy. Huh. Sounds like you're missing a ground somewhere, Frank. What you would need to do first off is to go in with a voltmeter, check for power and ground at the circuit. Mm-hmm. Normally, whenever you mess with something and it interferes with another circuit, it's because it's trying to find a ground and it's flowing back up through those other circuits. Okay. So there's probably going to be a ground wire off somewhere. Now, where in that half mile of wiring <laughs> is going to be a bit of a trouble to find. You just got to do a little bit of detective work. If you can get a service manual or ser- access to service data on the vehicle, yep. it'll show you where the grounds are located. And I would almost bet you one of them is going to be missing or broken or, or it's corroded up or loose or something like that. And what it's trying to do is trying to find a ground back through the radio circuit. That's why you'll get that little buzzing noise when you when you hit the switch. All right. All righty. Well, thank you very much, sir. I appreciate the help. Well, great. And thanks for listening. All right. Bye-bye. 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 All right. One more quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour.
Hey, Clint, what's that? Take a look. It's my bucket list of things to do before the world ends. Okay. According to the Mayan calendar, the world goes kaput on December 21st, 2012. I got lots to do, neighbor. Uh, bog snorkeling? Punch a whale? Compete in the World Toe Wrestling Championship? I see Meet Julia Roberts is scratched off. Yeah, got her autograph, too. Really? Well, it's on the restraining order. Hey, shouldn't repair my car be on the list? What? Your, your brakes, they're constantly squealing, it shimmies and shakes and leaking oil all over I the think I can make it to December. Unless you believe the world will end this year, car maintenance and repair is not something to put off. Come to Agco Automotive and let us show you how we can keep your car in tip-top shape and operating at the lowest overall cost. Hey, um, isn't this one here illegal? Not in Tijuana, my friend. Want to learn more about why Agco is the place to go? Visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O. Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, this is Lewis Aldersland from Agco Automotive. And I got Mr. Brian Terry right here in the co pilot seat. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Still got plenty of time, and we can get you an answer and let you know what's going on. Maybe save you some money. Keep Definitely from, save you some money. Keep you from making a mistake. There you go. You never know. <laughs> we were talking how it unfortunately got cut off, but. He was talking about those power steering hose. A lot of times what the engineers will do is they will route that hose in a very roundabout type of way. I remember we were talking during the break about the Ford Taurus back a few years ago. Right. And those hoses would go up the driver's side, all the way to the front of the car, across, zigzag back and forth, and they come all the way back down the passenger side. And there was two of them, and they ran side by side with a bunch of clips in between. And if you didn't get it in there, I mean verbatim, yeah. it was coming back leaking. It was it going was. to rub a hole in it. And that was probably about a four-and-a-half to five-hour job Yeah, you to had to take, those hoses. You had to take everything off the top of the transmission, Basically, get all that drop, out the way. Drop the engine cradle out. It was a very difficult one to put in there correctly. Right. You had to support the engine and transmission, drop the engine cradle out, route the hoses in there, and then put it all back in. Of course, on the assembly line, it's real easy because well, yeah, all that's all, out. Right. And they just put it together, slammed it up in there. And we would get shops who had tried to shortcut that job, and the guy would normally come in and say, look, I got, man, I've changed this hose twice. And it keeps leaking. And you'd see it had been routed improperly or uh -huh. they left some clips off. You tried to shortcut the job. And you just couldn't do it. It had to be put back verbatim. Now, if you put it exactly the way that they designed it, it would go back in there and you right. wouldn't have any trouble out of it. It would work fine. But it had like a little nylon O-ring, and if it wasn't in there exactly right and the hose moved, it would stress that O-ring and it would wear well, it out real quick. Ford set that line up as a different type of fitting. It actually has an O-ring in, in the nut that seals the tube, and then the nut has to have a seal to seal a separate o-ring right to seal it that, to the rack. That little teflon ring you had to run it through a heat exchange and heat it up stretch it over the threads mm -hmm. and let it cool back down around the seal part of the nut so when you put it together you didn't catch it and pinch it because right. if you did it was over That's you were right. changing it again and unfortunately a lot of folks did not understand that in fact a lot of shops didn't understand it and what they would do is they would see the line leaking and it was actually leaking in the o-ring between the nut and the tube correct which is non-replaceable correct that you is cannot a, take it apart that is a new line begotten and they would keep changing the outer o-ring and it would still keep leaking and then what a lot of them would do is try to tighten it down a little more and they pull the threads out of the rack and pinion right because that nut is made to freewheel on yes. the end of that tube, even when it's tight. When it's so tight, the, tight, the tube you can, can still actually take still the move. Tube and move it back and forth. So right. they'd see that and think it was loose, 
Try to tighten it down. Tighten it down. Pull I've, the thread straight oh, out. Oh, I've seen them gob RTV up on it. And oh, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> all yeah. kinds of creative stuff. Trying to get it to work. Yeah. yeah but it, it never would. comes from a lack of understanding of the design, and that happens an awful lot on all cars. You have to understand what is engineered in here, particularly when one of these guys engineers a car and they do something that's totally different from everything that's ever been done before. Correct. And if you don't take the time to look at that and understand what it is that they're engineering in. And figure out how it works. How this works. At one time, all hydraulic lines and such just had a flared fitting on them. Right. And they had a little flare in the receiving end, and the nut would go in and just kind of tighten it down. If and they weren't made like that, then it was a pipe thread, and you'd simply tighten it down, put some tape on the thread, and that would lock it. Uh-huh. But nowadays, there's a whole bevy of different methods they use to seal threads some of them threads are not to seal at all they merely hold the line in place there's an internal o-ring that does the sealing and they all look pretty much the same but they're a totally different system and if you don't understand that try to use the wrong one ford has actually been using that system since the early 90s quite a while yeah they would use it on the old fox body mustangs Mm -hmm. i remember those and that's basically the first ones i saw it's not a bad system it's just different from everything else so if you're not familiar with it you're going to go real wrong and like i said i've seen people try to put teflon tape on the threads and all that man that's going to no, do it... absolutely no good those threads do not seal anything right those threads only act to hold the line in and keep it from falling out but all the sealing is done by o-rings internally and an o-ring when you tighten it down that thread bottoms out tightening it more will not help anything at all if that no. O-ring is not sealed at that point, you have it's to replace not the O-ring. To. You can tighten it until you pull the threads out of the rack and pinion. It's it, not going to help anything. That's right. And like you said before, the nut, once it goes on the line, it locks on the line, and the nut does not come back off. Yeah, it's manufactured cannot, on there. You cannot access that the, O-ring. The internal O-ring. Right. You have to change the line. You have to replace the line when it starts to leak. So what's important is just to, before you just go and do something, to try to understand how this works and that's the difference between a true professional and, let's just say, a, a professional who, because there are some professionals out there who, <laughs> who I wouldn't call a true professional. And certainly when a do-it-yourselfer looks at something, he doesn't have the experience to realize what's going on here in many cases. And I'm not saying they're not smart enough to figure it out, because certainly most people are. But you just have to take the time to look at this and say, I know it looks like this, but let me look a little deeper and see what's going on here. Right. Because and just about any kind of service manual or service information will generally give will you give a heads you. up on that. Right. And if you don't understand what's going on, then go ahead and send me an email. And if I don't know, I'll look it up for you and that's tell it. you what's going on. And call the show. That's right. You know, that's what we're here for. But you got to remember, a car is designed to work the way it is. Right. So no car is ever going to need, like, an extra fan. To cool off. In other words, if the motor's overheating, something is wrong. It doesn't need two fans because it worked for years and years and years with one fan. Exactly. And it doesn't need to be tightened more because it worked fine at the torque that it was specified. So tightening it more is not going to fix a problem. Well, so, if a little's good, a lot's got to be better, right? <laughs> if some's good, more's got to be better. <laughs> That's the American way, there man. There you go, buddy. <laughs> we got Marvin online. Good morning, Marvin. 
How are you this morning? I'm We're doing great, great, sir. I have a 2007 Toyota Corolla. Yes, sir. With the little four-banger in it. Yes, sir. And uh, it has a timing chain on it. How many miles can I go before I have to change that? Marvin, you get tired of driving that car before that timing chain gives you any problem. As long as you use the correct oil, yeah. a factory oil filter, and you change, and it, you change regular. it regular, you should have no trouble out of yeah. that chain at all. That will not ever give you any problems. The only ones we've ever seen give problems, Marvin, is people who use aftermarket oil filters. They don't have a drain back valve in some of them. So what happens, the engine has a hydraulic tensioner, which keeps mm-hmm. the chain tight. If you use one of those aftermarket filters, what can happen is that at night, all the oil will drain back to the pan. So when you crank it up, the tensioner is released, and it yanks the chain. And that will stretch that chain. It'll start rattling, beat a hole in the timing cover, and then you'll have a big, big, big problem. So go to a Toyota dealer. If you change your oil yourself, buy about a half a dozen of those filters, and use the Toyota filter. If you go to a shop, it doesn't hurt to bring your own filter. Right. And Re- request a Toyota filter. Yeah, or at least request they, a Toyota filter. If they don't have it, then you can say, here, put this on my car. That's right. Even the name don't, brand. Don't use them. No. Don't use them. No. And don't I, can't, the don't, I can't start naming brands on the no, air, but there is one filter out there that is extremely popular that is a piece of junk. They've changed hands three or four times. In fact, go to my website, and just type the word all filter in, and there's a picture in there or pictures in there of some filters cut open and the difference between an OEM filter and an aftermarket filter. You can actually see the, the drain this, back valves and the media and everything. This is one of the big, big name brands. You will be shocked. For goodness sake. Yep. Well, I sure did enjoy your show. Well, well thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much. All right, Marvin. Bye-bye. 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 All right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? And we've got Dwight on the line. Good morning, Dwight. Hey, good morning. Yes, good morning. sir. I've got a 2004 Toyota Camry mm-hmm. with about 250,000 miles on wow. it. Wow, good. And I, uh, I think the valve stem seals have finally bit the dust. It's okay. It's a whole lot when I first started up. When you crank it up, yes, sir. Yeah. Now, my question is, given the mileage on the, on the motor, is it worth it? I know it's an expensive job, too. Is it worth it to go ahead and change them, or should I throw a new motor in there, or, or what should I do? Does the car do what you want it to do? Are you happy with it, other yeah, than that? It pretty good. Really, Dwight, I guess you can change those valve stem seals without taking the motor apart. It can be done in the car, but it is a pretty big job. One thing you might just consider is to put a used motor in with lower mileage. And some right. people, when you say used motor, they, oh, but you got to remember, a used motor would say 100,000 miles on it is a Toyota motor. I That's like right. that better than I do a rebuilt motor because most of the rebuilt stuff on the market is trash. I mean, you don't know who rebuilds it. It's not usually built to Toyota standards. And it ought to be pretty easy on an 04 to find a motor with 100,000 on it at a fairly reasonable price. It's not that difficult to exchange the whole motor because you're going to probably spend about at least half to two-thirds the price replacing the cylinder head or replacing the valve guide seals you would getting a used motor and putting it in. Then you figure you're good for at least another 150,000 miles, if not more. Right, and then the good thing is I can probably do the motor myself. Well, that's it. There you go. That, I, I, As opposed to change those seals. The motor apart. Yeah, that's got select fit valve right. stuff in there and all. It's really kind of a bear to do. But, yeah, I would go online, see if you can't find an engine with fairly low mileage on it, and just swap the whole engine. And that way the bottom end's all fresh, top end's fresh. While you got it out, you might want to go ahead and put a timing belt on it because it's going to have right around that mileage on it. And, man, you're ready to go for another 250000 Great. Thanks, guys. Appreciate okay, Dwight. Thanks, right, man. Sir. Bye-bye.
right, 499-9526 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we still got a few minutes. So you can give us a call and try to get you some advice. And that question was asked just to verify if he was real happy with the vehicle. Right. You know, because if the vehicle's not doing what you want it to do, right. now it's time to get rid of it. Well, yeah, when you're facing any type of a big, big repair, I think what it comes down to, because we get people all the time come to shop, and let's say they need a transmission in an older car, and it's a lot of money, maybe say $3,000, and they say, man, I don't know if the car is worth that. So, well, the car is worth probably $25,000 because that's what it could cost for another one. Correct. Twenty-five to thirty for an average car and forty to fifty for a nice car. And even used cars today are generally in the fifteen to eighteen thousand dollar range. Oh yeah. Which you talking about the old days where you could buy a five thousand dollar car. A five thousand dollar car now is a twelve year old car with two hundred thousand miles on it. Yeah, I know. And <laughs> yeah, <been> looking. <laughs> just just start looking around if you don't believe that. So if you can fix the car you have, if you like the car you have. If it does what you want it to do. That's right. You then, know, you don't want to go pulling a 15,000-pound trailer with a Toyota Corolla. That's right. But vice versa. If you like the car you got, it does what you want. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be way better off repairing what you have. Sure. Unfortunately, a lot of the newer cars you buy, you may be trading in a better car than you're getting. <laughs> That's sad to say. It is sad to say, but... You see how many 2009s, 10s, and 11s oh, we yeah. get in the shop with major, major repairs. And if you think your old car is expensive to fix, just start trying to fix a new one. Oh, my God. There are modules on there that cost eight, nine hundred, fifteen hundred dollars $1,500. There's 15 to 20 of them in there. There are. And most of them are going to have five, six, seven, eight speed transmissions. So right. you're talking five grand for a transmission if and when it goes out. The technology on newer cars is great. I mean, oh, hey, it's wow, nice. look yeah. at all the stuff. But, but when it starts to break. When you start trying to have to fix it. Oh, hold on, man. Because some of that stuff, when it breaks, you can't just let it go. No. It's, it's all talking together. And if it's not seeing every module on that car or every component, right. it's not going to run. Yeah, it's not a matter of, well, I'm just not going to fix that. I'll just do without it. Because now you check engine lights on or this is on or that's on. The car just won't run. Won't run. We've seen them not will not run because the navigation module was all out. all integrated together. We had a, a late model Chevy pickup coming in the day with a very small oil leak from the oil pressure center unit. It was set a check engine light. Mm -hmm. And that's a big deal. you got to pull the intake off to, to get to replace it. it. Yeah. Guy wouldn't have fixed it except that he couldn't get an inspection stick. There so. you go. Hey, we are just totally out of time. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening to us this morning. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends, listen to us, go That's to right. iTunes, give us a rating. Yeah, give us a written rating on iTunes. That really makes our day. And preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.